Tonight, I called this one the death blow to me first. It's part of the City Church series I'm doing. We have a couple more to do, probably four more to do, covering different topics. But I don't know if you've been following the story about Vicki White. She's the guard um, that escaped with a suspect, Casey White. Uh, followed it. Here's just an article just simply said they escaped murder suspect Casey White were chased by law enforcement in Indiana on Monday. Um, after 11 days of running, they finally caught them. We captured them, the sheriff said, after a five-hour drive from Florence, Alabama, locked the pair up. And, uh, and then she says, U.S. Marshals to, uh, Task Force intercepted them, actually collided with them, and it ended the pursuit. We got Casey White out immediately, and he said that he didn't kill uh, Vicki White. Vicki White was 56 years old, was taken to the hospital with a self-inflicted gunshot wound, and the 30-year-old Casey White was taken into custody. But then it says this, <clears throat> when we were asked, it was very surprising that Vicki White, if you don't know who Vicki White was, she was the, the guard, but she was not just the guard, she was actually the assistant director of the facility. And what made the, this the story that really just got me to think about just says, Vicki White had pulled the trigger, and with criminals, they were asked, why do you think this happened? Why didn't the, the murderer guy who was with her kill her, kill her instead? He said, well, the criminals, you never know with criminals' minds. They're so unpredictable. We don't take anything they say with any kind of merit. And, and with criminals in the criminal's mind, they can change on a dime. But what caught their attention, what was strange, was Vicki White. She was the assistant director of the corrections. And by all accounts, she was the model employee. Twice, she was voted as the most outstanding employee in the correction facility. And on this particular occasion, she had been voted again this year as the number one employee. The award ceremony had not taken place yet, and the guy said, in charge of it, said, if we had the award ceremony, this had not taken, she would have gotten the award again for the third time. She was the most trusted, the most outstanding work we've ever had. And he couldn't believe that Casey White did this. And he says, you don't know who you can trust. He said, when I saw the interview, he said, if there's anyone we could trust, it was Vicki White. She had been an example. And what prompted her to do what she did, we will never know because she took her life. She worked for them for 25 years, and she was in this particular department for 17 years. You saw her, her supervisor said she was the best there was, the most trusted, the most honest. If there's anyone you can trust, it was her. And yet she violated everything she said she stood for. Any one of us can be a Vicki White. What do you mean? In any one of us can, we can go from this place where you look at, you know, absolutely fine. That brother I can trust, I guarantee you. Any one of us are capable of doing sinful things, is what I'm saying. So, this one's simply called, like I said, the death blow to me first. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, and also from 1 Thessalonians. We're still talking about the idea of community. We'll come back to the story maybe, but it says in Matthew 5, 14, You are the light of the world. A city built on the top of the hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a clay pot. Instead, it's placed upon a lampstand and gives light to everyone in the house. Make your light shine so others will see your good that you do and praise your Father which is in heaven. 
1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, We earnestly urge you, this is the Amplified Version, we earnestly urge you, believers, admonish those who are out of line or the undisciplined, the unruly, or the disorderly. Encourage the timid who lack spiritual courage. Help the spiritually weak. Be very patient with everyone, always controlling your temper. Another contemporary version says it like this. My friends, I beg you to warn everyone who isn't living right. Encourage anyone who feels left out and help all that are weak and be patient with everyone. So let's continue about the thought of community. And I said, once we get saved, we want to be a part of God's church. It's, it, it's a natural thing. We want to, that's what happens. The gospel creates community. We, we get saved and someone usually attends some church somewhere in some city, witnesses to us, talks to us. And one of the first questions after we get saved, we ask that person who led us to the Lord, where do you go to church? And you naturally want to go to church. Before, you didn't want to assemble with the Christians because you weren't a Christian. But now it's a natural flow of what God's done in your heart. The gospel creates community. But the community that God creates is not like the community that the world has. Nothing like it at all. I called it being countercultural. The world's community, they don't even know what community is. This man writes about what's happening today in our society. He's a psychologist, psychology. <clears throat> he said, we're in a pretty interesting time in human relationships. Once again, connectivity is easier than it's ever been. You can make connections to people more readily and quickly than you've ever been able to do before. You can make relationships easier than you've ever done before. It doesn't require a lot of depth. It can be quick. You can let people know the most useless information about your life in a moment's time by posting it. You can take a picture of your taco, post it, tweet it, and all your friends can be jealous of the fish tacos that you're eating. But here's what psychologists are saying, sociologists are finding. Here's what the human study relationship is revealing. I quote, although we are more connected than ever before, We've been with more people than ever before. We have been around more people than ever before, despite the fact that it is easier to find people who we share the common interest in than ever before. We feel more alone and more unknown than any time that has ever been measured in human history. Something's wrong. Something has gone wrong. We don't even know how to define community anymore. We don't know how to, relationships are supposed to function it's because of how the world reviews or views relationships. But the gospel creates a radically different community, and that's really what I'm trying to push. It's different than the world. The way the world does community is not how the church or how you and I as Christians do community or how we're supposed to do community. And that's why I'm, I'm doing this whole series about this. Let me give you an example. These are some of the flaws that... It's spoken about pretty commonly in any kind of Christian literature of Christians today or today's believers. But I put it this way. This is me in my way I would illustrate it or think about it. When we come to Christ, as a result of coming to Christ, we come to Christ because somebody, how many of you, let me go back, how many of you came to Christ because someone witnessed to you? Raise your hand. Someone talked to you. Someone invited you to church. Uh, an angel invited you to church. 
for like 98% of you just raised your hands, someone was involved in the creation or the guidance of you getting saved, right? So someone reached out to us, however the form might be. They invited us. Maybe you came to church, but you didn't come to church. That's not the point. The point is someone touched you. And because of that, you came, you gave your life to Christ. And after you've given your life to Christ, some people today, I'm not saying you, but some people today choose not to be a part of the very thing that birthed them. The very thing that birthed them, they choose not to be a part of. How many of you can see how wrong and how bad this is? They say that idea that you could, this birthed you, this gave you what you have, and now you don't want to be a part of it. If it wasn't there, you wouldn't have what you have. So we're going to interact tonight briefly. It's not going to be a long one. But how many of you can see how wrong this is? And what's so wrong about it? I mean, I, this is not one of the questions, but I'm going to ask it right now anyway. What's so wrong about what I just said? What's so wrong about someone being helped or led to Christ? They become a Christian, and now they're going to be part of the very thing that birthed them in the kingdom of God. What's so fundamentally wrong with that? Someone who, Who's the mic guy tonight? You are. Okay. Someone have a thought on what I just said. Now, you have to answer about what I just said. Okay? What's wrong with that? What I just laid out. Okay, okay. Uh, Vince, before you speak, Vince, he's going to bring you the mic so we can all hear it, the millions that are watching. Um, So when you said that, the first thing that came to my mind, it's like a mother giving birth to a baby and then immediately the baby saying, you're no longer my mother and wanting to go off and live its own life. First of all, in that situation, the baby wouldn't, would die, right? The baby wouldn't be able to live separate from the mother. And at the same time, when we get saved, it's a spiritual rebirth, right? The Bible says to be born again when we accept Jesus. To come to a church, to hear a sermon, to be witnessed to and, and brought into a sheepfold and then say, thank God for this blessing or thank God for this salvation. But then to walk away, it's like God just adopted you into his family and he gave you family members, the being the church, and then by saying, oh, but I'm not going to come to church or I'm not going to be a part of that church, it's almost like separating yourself from a family that God's placed you in. And also spiritually, not only will you not live, but I mean, I've witnessed so many people who have said the same exact thing you're saying, oh, I don't need to go to church, or I don't need to go to that. And they believe the most outlandish, most crazy, most off-the-wall doctrines because they don't have that spiritual family around them to bring correction or to bring... Um, accountability, and because of that, their spiritual life, it it no longer grows, you know? It's the same thing if a a child would be separated from its mother. It would, in a sense, physically, it would cause it uh, to not grow as it would have had it been a part of the the mother, a part of the family that it was born into. Okay. Will? Um, I just thought of a couple different things. Um, Number one, we don't realize all that God protects us from. Like Vince said, when you have a, a child can't protect itself. We don't, there's things that God sees that we have no clue about that he protects us from. And then on top of that, when you come into the family of, of God, you don't realize it's not you. It's God's grace. It's God's hand. It's God doing basically 99%. Our, our job is to show up mm. and to, to think that it's us now 
like, God, you know, God, he might take you off the street and now give you, you know, like a, a good job. And now you think, well, it's all me doing it. And it's like, no, you have no idea. You have no clue, you know, what, what God is helping you with, what he's protecting you from, what his grace is allowing you to do. Um, so that's it. Okay, why would someone think like that? You don't have to answer the question, but why would someone think like that? What's, the, what's, the, what's at the root cause of this? The audacity for someone to say, I don't need anyone after everyone's helped you get to where you're at, for that human being to say, I don't need anyone now. What's the, root, what's the bottom line to this thing, someone? You can't talk without the microphone. <laughs> Give them the microphone. <laughs> say it again. Pride. What do you mean, Dave? No, honestly. Um, well, when the Lord helps you get through certain things in your life, um, you're, you're on your knees asking for help, uh, whatever, get a job. Or, and, and then when you're doing it on, you know, you're making that money and uh, you kind of put God to the side. And mm. you, I got this now. Or, you know, you, you're taking the glory from what the Lord has blessed you with. Mm. So all of a sudden now you don't need him. Until your car breaks down or until you lose your job or whatever. Yeah, amen. You know? So, yeah, basically it's pride. We, it's something in us that wells up, especially in a man. I speak for myself. You know, you get to that point where you think you got this down. Like like Peter walking on the water, you know. When he had Jesus in front of him, he, you know, Jesus was giving him the power to do that. But once he took his eyes off, maybe he thought, you know, I could do this. And then he sank. So, amen. Yeah. Okay. Side note quickly, uh, Tim, can you turn it up a little bit more, let me get warmer in here? Go ahead, uh, Nick, go ahead, Daniel, can you get to Nick, please? I think sometimes um, God has promises for us, and he plans to fulfill his promises in our lives through the family of God that he's given us, the people he's surrounded us with, from the foundation of our salvation, he's given us a family. But I think sometimes we see a different promised land, and we want to pursue that. And so sometimes we will think that we can accomplish what we want in our lives while leaving the promises of God and the blessing of God behind us. So we dismiss or discount the people in our lives that God has placed there and we think that we're going to go accomplish our own thing and still bring God with us, but that doesn't always happen the way that we see it. I think we need to submit ourselves to the plan of God for our life and submit ourselves to the headship and honor the positions of authority in our lives that God has placed there in order for us to accomplish God's will in the way that he sees fit for our lives. But sometimes we get discontent with that. And that's when pride comes in. And it can give birth to all kinds of different roots of bitterness and envy and anger and resentment regarding that if we are operating in a spirit of pride eventually. Okay. And so, you know, let me just add to this. Um, the bottom line, it's the theology or the thought is it's me first. Yeah. Right? It's just saying, you know what? It's me first. It's what I want first. It's me first. And I call this the death blow to me first. We'll get what the death blow has to take place. Something has to take place because that's how we live prior to meeting Christ. It is me first. That's how we live our life. That's how we order our life. I met a guy years ago. At, <clears throat> it was in Canyon Crest. He, great young guy. I, I like the guy a lot. He's like a very nice man, very smart college graduate. Uh, not all are smart, but he was. 
uh, very, just very knowledgeable about church and church history. And so we're, one day we were talking, and um, uh, he started talking to me about discipleship and different things. And, and, he, and he said to me, he said, well, I don't, I don't believe in the church. I don't believe in organized religion. Uh, I don't believe in organized Christianity, different denominations. I don't believe in none of that. God's not into any of that. And I said, okay, well, why, why would you say that? He said, well, because God, you know, in the early church, you know, the early church history. I said, well, I've read it by the same books you read. But yeah, I mean, uh, the early church, yeah, first two to three hundred years, they didn't have a building. They met in the homes. I said, yeah. And he said, so I, I went, we're going back. We're, we're doing early church stuff, bro. We're going back to the early church. We're doing it the way God intended. And I said, the early church didn't have purified water either. Uh, the early church didn't have plumbing. The early church didn't have a lot of things. You want to go back in time. Most of the modern conveniences you have today, the early church didn't have. I said, so what are, what are you doing? He said, well, we're anti-church. I said, but now you're anti-church, but you're okay with your church in your living room. He said, I'm, I'm anti-this. I said, some people from that group, living room group, will leave and say, I'm all about the bedroom. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, the point being is any anti-group will always form a group. Follow what I'm saying. Someone says, I, I'm a man, you know, any clubs like that, you, you get people that grow up anti-family, they go join, what do they do? They join a gang, and that's their family. They're anti-family, but that's, that's their new family, right? They're anti-that, but they're okay with it, and they don't see it at all. Uh, there's a girl, I don't know what they're called, maybe you might know, you see some of these people that dress a certain way, right? It could be uh, people that were all black, what are those called? Goth, evil, someone said what? I don't know, okay, I, you don't have to be evil because we're all black. I like black. <laughs> but anyway, they're all, they say, I'm different. We're, we're not into that, we're into this. But they all get together and they're all the same. Gangs or people say, I'm, I'm doing my own thing. You're, you're going to do your own thing? You guys all look alike. <laughs> you guys all look alike. It's, it's like this, I want to be independent. And they get with, because it's natural and it's got we are fundamentally social beings, and we are driven to be around people, and we're around the very people that look just like us. So you got people that were all the black. Guess where they go? They're with people that were all black, but we're against people who were all white, I guess. I don't know what their thing is, but the point being is we all do that. We're driven. We're anti that, but really any group that's against a group will usually form a group, but their group's Okay. It doesn't matter because we, this is how we are. We are fundamentally social beings. We are drawn to each other, whether we realize it or not. And you say, well, what's the big deal, Pastor? Well, here's the, my point, and this is why it's a big deal. What's so big about community, the right kind of community, is that today, and I mentioned this before, 80% of Americans, Christians in America, believe you can be a good Christian without going to church at all. Now, there's something wrong with that. Can we agree? First thing I thought about was, why wouldn't you want to go to church? I mean, you meet Christ, and you should, when God fundamentally changes you, I'll get to that in a minute, fundamentally changes you, changes your heart, changes your desire, changes your passion, you want to be around the people of God. And for someone to purpose in their heart, I don't want to do that, they will short-circuit the plan of God for their life. Because it's a natural thing. So you're fighting against the very Spirit of God who's touched you and saved you. 
And I know sometimes people don't come to church because the truth is sometimes we, we've all been there. We've gotten discouraged. We've, sometimes things happen in life. We get discouraged, maybe even depressed. Uh, battles are, are, you know, things happen. And sometimes, sometimes you know, the enemy just gets the best of us. But you think about coming to church regularly. People say, well, I'm, I don't want to go too much. Hey, too much? What's too much? No, I don't, you know, Sunday morning or Sunday night or Thursday, too much. Can I inform people that if you go to heaven, it's going to be a lot of church. It's like 24-7, gospel music. So you ah, what am I going to do? You probably need to start listening to it now. Think about it. When you go to heaven, it's going to be up here. It's God's people 24-7. You won't be able to run to your room there. Why wouldn't you want to be around the people of God? Why wouldn't you? Well, something's fundamentally wrong. It's that, what I said a moment ago, it's that me first thing. It's not good. And it's not good at all. So sometimes in, in struggle, I'm going to point this out for a moment here, that... Like I thought about the prodigal when, 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 when he struggles. Now, we all will go through moments and times where we're struggling. We go through battling, and the struggle's real. I've talked about it. We can go through our own personal valleys. We can go through problems or tragedies or great disappointments or even maybe even hurt by someone in the church. There's a lot of things that happen. That's reality. That, that's true, and it hurts, absolutely. But we have to be careful because I thought about the prodigal. Because when you and I are in moments like that, of this, what I call me struggle, oftentimes we're not thinking right, we're not acting right, and we're not speaking right. And we have to be very careful that when those times come, that you don't, sometimes we become our worst enemy is ourselves and what we say. And we have to really watch ourselves. And because we can make it, the danger is we can make it a lot worse and we can make a very bad decision at our worst moment. So I've told people this, when you are at your, maybe not the worst, but when you are really struggling, that's not the time to make a life-changing decision. Right? You're not in your right mind. You're not in your right mind. So I ask people this. I've asked people this. When they're really going through something, I'll ask them a few questions. Number one, do you read your Bible? Most people are struggling. You know what they say? If they're honest? No. Do you pray much? No, not really. Do you think you're spiritually in your right mind? No. And you're going to make a decision that's going to change your entire life? You think that's wise? They said, no. I said, that's why I'm the pastor. No. No, it's not any one of us. Any one of us. You have to be careful because you're in that moment. And so here's the prodigal. The prodigal said, so we know the story. He goes out. He has the money. He got, like Will said, he's blessed. Or like Dave said, he's been blessed. Got a good job. He gets his father's inheritance. He goes out. He spends it all. Las Vegas, he's partying. He's drinking in Las Vegas. What happens in Las Vegas, don't stay in, stays in Las Vegas. That's not true. Sin will follow you home. And sin follows him home. And, he, and there he is. Before you know it, he's, he's partying. All of a sudden, all his money goes. And you'd be surprised how many people around you. When you got money, when you got no money, ain't no one around you. 
And also he's by himself, I ain't got no money, I can't even feed myself, even the pigs are eating better. And he's thinking, he says, you know what, I'm going to rise, and I'm going to go to my father. But the Bible says this first before he says that, it said he came to his senses. It means his mind got right for just a moment. But this is what I like, when his mind got right, he said, I'm going to go home. You know someone's mind is working right when they want to go back to be with God. You know, their, their heart's not, something's missing. If the person says, I'm going to rise and I'm going to Philadelphia. <laughs> I'm going from Las Vegas to L.A., baby. No, no, you're still on the wrong path, bud. He says, I'm going to rise. I'm going to go to my father. The Bible says he came to his senses. I'm going to rise and go to my father. And I'm going to tell my father I have sinned. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Forgive me. Make me as one of your hired servants. Now think about it. All the things he just said, he thinks that's how the father feels about him. Every one of us say things to ourselves, and we think, we, we convince ourselves by the things we say to ourselves, and we convince ourselves certain things. And we, we think one way, and God thinks so different. And sometimes, I know I'm getting a little off track here, but sometimes when we're like that, and, and, you, and we have enough sense, we rise and come to, not to the Father's house, but we come to the potter's house, get it? Okay, we come to the potter's house. And someone walks up and gives you a word to kind of push you that right way. Not always, but I've been given words by women in this church, men in this church. And it wasn't like, thus saith the Lord, Gary. It, wasn't, it was like, I feel like God wanted to tell you that. It's just a few words, and they're all, they were right on. I got a word, and we'll talk about it later some other time. Alvin's daughter called me and gave me a word. I've only talked to her twice my entire life. She always prays for me. She thinks I'm great. Everyone needs, everyone needs somebody in your corner. She goes, I know you're so busy and you just do all this. I said, no, I don't do much at all. I just sit on my machines all day. I don't, really don't, do, I don't do hardly anything. But anyway, she, she gave me a word. And the word, I've been given words by the other women in the church here. In fact, a lot of the women, different people and men. And the word she gave me was just, just, a, little, just, just a little push. Just a little push, just right direction. And so here's the prodigal. He's not getting that push. There's no one there. Pigs don't talk. When you're, all your friends are pigs, you're in trouble. It literally means when all your friends, the closest friends you have are unclean, you better watch yourself. You look around, and all you see is oink, oink, something's wrong. Say, hey, hey, what's wrong here? They're all unclean. They're unviled. They're perverted. They're crazy. You know, it's probably the best place for me to be around. You know, I'm leaving this place. So he said, I'm going to go home. But in his mind, I'm not worthy to be called your son. He thinks this way. And the Bible says his father's looking out for him. And when he comes, his father runs. We know the story. Her father runs out to him, wraps his room, kisses him, which is, was a sign of acceptance. Gives him the robe and the ring. And then he says, tells everyone, let's have a party. He calls him what? My son has come home. How God saw him and how he saw himself were two different worlds. When you're struggling, don't make it worse by making some terrible decision. Just do the simple thing, show up. Because if you just show up, trust me, God will be faithful to speak to you if your heart's open. If you just show up, even in the moment you just say, you know, I'm done with everything. We've all said it. And God's faithful to meet with us. We all... We all have an enemy. 
Satan, the favorite tool that he uses against all of us is sin. Let me read a scripture to you. The Bible says in Hebrews 3.13, today there is an opportunity, this amplified version again, today there is an opportunity so that none of you will be hardened or settled into rebellion by the deceitfulness of your sin, its cleverness. Another version says hardened, it means, the word literally means by the deception of sin, and you look that word up, it means a false impression made to deceive, cheat, motivated by, by guile, trickery, and fraud. Let me tell you, sin can trick you. It's fraud. It's not what it appears to be. It appears to be good, and it is good just for a moment, but that good wears off. It's done. It's fraud. And so the word may be hard means to be made stubborn. It means to become inflexible with God. But one guy said it means resisting what God says is right. Now here, Hebrews 10, 23, you must encourage one another and you must keep coming while there's still time to be called today so that you don't sin. Sin may fool some of you and make you stubborn. We must continue to hold firm to our declaration of faith to the one who made the promises faithful. Verse 24, we must also consider how to encourage each other to show love and do good things. We, We should not stop gathering together with believers, as some of you are doing, instead we must continue to encourage each other even as the day is coming. Every one of us have the ability to fall into self-deception because of, uh, because of sin. And the verses I just read is talking about sin, its nature, it's how it deceives you. And what helps you in that arena is the Bible says others can speak into your life. Keep encouraging that you say, bro, I'm going to keep encouraging. I'm going to keep trying to help you so you don't fall in, become stubborn, rebellious against God, and you sin. And so you come, and people are there trying to help you. Now, the difference between help and meddling. You don't meddle in people's lives, but you can help them. There's no such thing as a gift of metal. <laughs> I tell everyone how to live. They ain't asking you that's meddling. But helping is something else. And every one of us need others that can speak into our lives, and we need to have our hearts open enough at the end here and allow God to speak into our lives. How can, yes, God can speak to you when you're at home. God can speak to you when you're in the hospital. I get all that, and he does. That's great. But there's nothing like being here. Even if the message has nothing to do with you, you may be sitting here, Tonight, and just sitting here, and you may be after the service is all over, walking out, someone may walk up to you and just say something and not even say, this is a word from God. They ain't going to say that. But they may say something to you, and you will know that was God. That was God. Let me end here. The army has a saying, and that saying is, leave no man behind. Have you ever heard of that? I was in the army. I am the army. No. That's people think. One man army. That's called dead. But we have stickers that say one man army. That is so dumb. One man army. Really? I used to tell my grandkids, they dropped me in Afghanistan. I'll, I'll clean it all up. It's back you know, 20 years ago. Or the kids and said, thought that you'd be dead in a minute. They're getting to say, you won't last a minute. But anyway, 
I told you about that guy on Instagram, didn't I? I'll get off track, but I'll tell you quickly. A guy on Instagram read my Instagram. It has nothing to do with anything. It's dogs and pictures and, and preaching and repentance, just scriptures. And he said, I've been following your bio for a while. I think you'd make, I want you to be on my team. We're putting together this, this, this team of men, like 20 men, and we're going to do something. It's highly secretive, and I want you to be a part of it. I want you to send your resume because I think you fit in well with us. And I told my wife, what is he reading? Arthritic old man on the verge of dying. What's, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Show up and help you get Social Security? I don't know what the deal is, buddy. What am I going to do? I said, how dumb. I didn't respond to the guy. It just, I, that's social media for you, right? But um, they have this phrase, leave no man behind. Robert, come explain to us what that means quickly, and we're going to end here. Or you st- yeah, you stay there. It's fine. It, uh, it refers to a combat situation being in the battlefield. Uh, my safety, my well-being is of no concern. It is the soldier on my left, the other on my right. They are my priority. Their welfare, their safety, I will fight alongside them. I will fight for them if necessary. At no point will I ever abandon them or leave them behind. No one remains on the battlefield alone. Everyone comes home. Okay. Daniel, get the mic. I saw all these. I listened to a podcast. I'm going to end here. I really am. A guy is talking about SEALs, Navy SEALs. What makes a Navy SEAL a Navy SEAL? And, what, who's, and he, he, he described something I thought was so interesting. He said, it's not the strongest. It's not the, it's not the biggest, the baddest. He said, most of the guys are coming to SEAL training. The bigger they are, the stronger they are, you would naturally look at it and say, this guy's going to make a seal. None of them make it. Because they're all about ego. He said, we have some of the most outstanding seal teams where guys aren't very strong. Um, you'd look at them and say, these guys, he said, but the difference is. We had one guy in our unit. He, he became one of the leaders. Two weeks before graduation, we, we let him go. He was, you couldn't believe they would let him go because he was like the outstanding seal guy. He said, no, someone like you can't be trusted with a human life because it's about you. He said, the difference between them and the guy asking the interviewer, said, so what's the difference between that guy and the, just the average SEAL guy? He said, the average SEAL guy, when their life is on the line, they will, they will say in their heart of hearts, when life gets, no matter what situation is, they will dig deep and say, you know what, what happens? I'm going to die with you. The others turn. Now, this is interesting because in Hebrews, I just read to you a scripture. There's a word that's used. It's the word, don't forsake the assembling. I remember that, I remember that word. Don't forsake it. When Jesus was on the cross in Matthew, he cries out, my father, my father, why hast thou forsaken me? It's the same word used to describe when you don't come to church. So what do you mean, Pastor. This is how we view community. When you don't assemble, I, I understand life, work, sickness, I get that. But when you don't assemble, what you're saying by your action, the word defines it is you're saying that brother or that sister is in that place. It means leave someone in the worst condition. They're there, and you're saying, I don't care. I'm going to forsake you. I don't care. 
I got things to do. It's me first. That's not real Christian-like. You say, so how, how can I make the application? I'm going to tell you, just because people are sitting here and they don't look like they are in a dire situation, they may not look like they're mentally going through, they may not look like they have any problems at all. You have no idea. And so you come, and the opposite happens. You come, instead of forsaking them, you come and you sit. And maybe they ask you a question or say something to you, or they actually ask you to pray for them. You're there to help them. But if you weren't there, that service, that moment, they would have been forsaken. We all have that duty. And when we come, we need to think differently, and we need to act differently and realize, you know what? Me coming isn't just about me. I'm going to show up. I don't know what's going to happen, who's going to be helped. But our attitude can't be me first. I want you to bow your heads tonight.